1: I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> it's
0: probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day.
1: I mean we say it all the time, whether you know there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean
0: <laughs> um, we're we're we are about players and players playing the plays and not
1: necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity City Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. Joining me from his home in Omaha that I'm assuming has been rampaged. Uh, we're recording this on a Thursday night, and his favorite team just drafted a quarterback, even though they already have Aaron Rodgers. Jacob Badilla is joining us. Jacob, first of all, thank you for uh, taking some time out of draft night to podcast with me. And secondly, if if there's anything you would like to get off your chest right now, if there's any kind of emotion that you're going through, or you need somebody to talk to, I'm here for you. I just want to give you this safe space. Let it all out. Yeah,
0: I'm Pretty emotionally level right now, just no feels whatsoever. Just not, <laughs> not like my favorite team is uh, continuing to waste away the prime of the most talented player I've ever seen in, in the franchise. Um, not like they they had a chance to get a, a good player that could help them in a lot of different areas um, and pass it for a quarterback that threw 17 interceptions in the Mountain West last year. No, that definitely didn't just happen, and I'm definitely not mad about
1: it. I want to point out uh that whenever the Jordan Love hype train was really kind of ramping up and people were talking about him going to the Chargers with the number six pick. I-, I wanted I would like people to know Jordan Love's QBR last year was lower than Adrian Martinez's. I don't know what that <laughs> says about QBR or Jordan Love or Adrian Martinez. It might not say much of anything, but that was a stat that I found amusing. Um It's interesting, yeah, because like I I feel like Green Bay hasn't really done much to help Jordan, uh, Jordan to help Aaron Rodgers at any point throughout his career. Don't
0: you dare! Like I remember push him out already.
1: He's not done I, yet. Sorry, I remember having a conversation two years ago now with Deontay Williams and Muhammad Barry and Tyron Ferguson, in which they tried to claim that Aaron Rodgers could be viewed as a better quarterback. throughout his entire career than Tom Brady, but he hasn't had the environment to kind of grow through that success in the way that Brady has. And it's an interesting argument. And I didn't know the the stat that the Packers haven't taken a skill position player in the first round in 15 years. That seems like kind of a problem.
0: Yeah, it's not great. Um, Yeah, that's... (laughs) they, they 've had some success in the second round with wide receivers, so Green Bay has had some really good wide outs over the years but um yeah it's it's very frustrating right now um, i I busted out the all caps in my tweets um, i kind of kind of started off uh, a li- little subtle just uh, one short quick reaction and then just kind of let it all out uh, from there i just like it's not only the fact that they didn't take whether it's a wide receiver, a defensive player, um, maybe a tackle, obviously there was some run on some of those positions and maybe there wasn't somebody there, but the fact that not only did they not take somebody that could help the team next year uh, with Aaron Rodgers at 36 years old, they traded up ahead of teams that didn't really need a quarterback in order to take that guy. Like I, like, like you meant, you talked about the Jordan Love hype train and, I like that whole time. I was just kind of laughing. Like, I can't believe this is going to happen. Um, I can't believe some dumb team is going to take him in the first round. And turns out my team was that dumb team.
1: <laughs> I don't want to spend too much time on the NFL draft because, like I said, we're recording this on a Thursday night. Uh, the draft runs Friday, the second, third round, or Friday, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh, or Saturday. Nebraska is probably going to have guys taken on the last day of the draft, so I don't want to spend too much time talking about it because then we're going to date the podcast. So for the the bulk of this, we're going to be talking about basketball. I want to get your thoughts on uh, Nebraska's kind of revolving door and whether that's fair to even call it a revolving door at this point in the hardwood inside PBA. Um, We'll talk about kind of their signing class and some comments that Fred Hoiberg made. Um, I do, though, I I would like to make first a joke Uh, that some of the NFL draft winners from this first-round night include Gus Malzahn's um, beautiful mural in his wall, I'm assuming basement wall, uh, that says no huddle. What does it say? Hurry up, no huddle? Yeah, I Uh, I it. Cliff Kingsbury is living his best life and belongs in the Finesse Hall of Fame. He got fired from Texas Tech and had an excuse then to leave Lubbock, Texas, and now has Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, and freaking Isaiah Simmons, who I texted Greg before the draft. I feel like Isaiah Simmons is probably the best player not named Joe Burrow in this entire draft. And the Cardinals got him at eight. And then my other winner is Old Spice Bathrobes. Uh, shout out to Henry Ruggs for that. There is a joke about Rugs Bathrobes, and one other, um, like, bath item that belongs in a bathroom, but I'm not smart enough to make that joke. I do have a take, though, that I would like to give you, and I would like to step onto my soapbox for a second and talk about this Joey Burrow thing that continues to pop up, and it popped up again tonight. Can I Can I just like have a couple minutes to kind of rant? Is that okay with you?
0: Yes, go ahead. Because I'm right there with you, I, I believe.
1: Um, so, I think we should talk about Nebraska getting dunked on to begin the NFL draft. So, Trey Wingo took his shot. He took a shot at Scott Frost. Frost caught a stray, whatever you want to call it. Burrow threw 60 touchdowns against six picks last year. He became the only player in SEC history to throw for 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns in a season. He set an NCAA single season record for touchdown passes and total touchdowns, and his 76.3% completion percentage was the second best mark in a single season in NCAA history. There was no better quarterback in 2019 than Joe Burrow. But instead of talking about any of that when he got drafted number one overall, we instantly focused on Nebraska saying, nah, we're good in 2018 before anyone knew he was going to be what he became. Focusing on the negative first and slamming Scott Frost in the process completely out of the blue In order to get a viral moment on social media instead of just listing the accolades, it just seemed weird to me and it seemed almost invalidating to what he, being Burrow, had had accomplished this past season. Second, Burrow's choice, the other choice when he picked LSU in 2018, the other choice was Cincinnati. If he was a generational talent then, why was Cincy his second choice? Where are the bullets for literally every other college team that chose what they had over a transfer portal quarterback in 2018? Where are the bullets for an Ohio State team that had him in their own building and chose Dwayne Haskins over him? Haskins was great. He had an awesome season and became a first-round pick after it. But Joe Burrow just had arguably the best college season a quarterback has ever had. That's vastly better than what Haskins gave the Buckeyes. I think, right? He won a Heisman and a national championship, and the Buckeyes didn't play in the college football playoff after Haskins' season. Where are the bullets for the Buckeyes? Only Nebraska is taking heat right now. Only Scott Frost is taking heat right now. It's not because Burrow had family that played for the Huskers and he wanted to go to Nebraska, and Nebraska was stupid for not forecasting that this career 29 of 39 for 290-something yards passer a former 8th best dual threat high school prospect, was going to turn into the next Tom Brady, Nebraska's not taking flack for that. Nebraska's getting railed right now because everyone hated UCF's unbeaten season, and now that Scott Frost Huskers haven't been any good, people want to pile on and get their punches in now. Where was the Joe Burrow mania last summer when Adrian Martinez was coming off a freshman All-America campaign, and he had legitimate Heisman buzz? Where was Burrow on draft boards last summer? Where was Burrow in the Heisman race last summer? He was not anywhere to be found. Scott Frost didn't call Adrian Martinez the Michael Vick of this generation while simultaneously spitting on Joe Burrow. He said, my rebuild at this university with a young team is going to be built around a young quarterback that we can mold the way we want to mold for four years. Not a graduate transfer quarterback who's already what he is in terms of mechanics and and kind of the way that he wants to operate in offense, and we'll only have him for two seasons. Because third, comparing Joe Burrow's situation at LSU to what he would have had at Nebraska is like comparing your grandfather's 1988 Honda Accord to a Ferrari. LSU had a Bolitnikov receiver and another first-round receiver that just got drafted. They had NFL talent on the offensive line and a defense littered with award-winning NFL draft-projecting talent, including two guys who got picked in the first round tonight. That team was ready to maximize Joe Burrow. Nebraska was not able to maximize Joe Burrow, and it wasn't ready to. Firing off barbs at Nebraska right now over Burrow in this whole entire situation and how they should have picked him, they should have done this or that or the other thing, it's completely ignoring the context of the situation and logic of team building. It's done purely for shock factor. It's dumb. Let the situation go. Praise Joe Burrow for the incredible season that he had. The wonderful young man he is, because the moment at the Heisman ceremony where he gave his acceptance speech and he pointed out kids in in Ohio, that was awesome. Praise him for that. Stop talking about Nebraska and praise him for the career that he's probably going to have in the NFL. Move on. That's it. I'm done.
0: So you clearly scripted out that whole thing. How many words was that? You got the word counter up?
1: No, I just have notes.
0: (laughs) Well, very, very well done. Um, I, I applaud both your uh, uh, what what you wrote there and then, kind of the delivery. You did that very well. Um, it was a joy to listen to, and uh, I I agree with you. Um, that's pretty much what was happening here, and uh, it's. I mean, Nebraska is going to catch strays until they win again. Unfortunately, um, that's just what's going to happen.
1: Right, but that only goes to show that it's not about Burrow. It's about Nebraska's not any good, and people see a blue blood where a coach came in with a lot of buzz, a lot of excitement around him, and a lot of confidence, and probably said some things that are kind of biting him in the ass right now, and people want to pile on right now. It's it's dumb. It's dumb. I'm ready for it to be over with, but I don't think it's going to be over with anytime soon because... The universe is crazy, and now Joe Burrow is going to play for a former Nebraska quarterback in Zach Taylor. It's fantastic.
0: Oh, it should be fun. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Burrow's rookie year looks like out there.
1: It It should be interesting. I think I already saw one tweet from an NFL person tonight that said, remember, rookie seasons are sometimes rough for quarterbacks. <laughs> so, um, We'll see. I, let's talk about basketball because – so Nebraska that. signed Nebraska signed its new class. Um, basically, it's doing the same thing this season that it did last season. In the sense of everybody is new. There's like nobody back from last year's team. I think there are three guys now that played last year, being Thor, who was the only guy who returned a year ago, Wade Drago, and there's one other guy. Is there another guy? Who am I missing? Uh, I call a collar rope. A rope. Okay. Yeah. So there's there's three guys coming back. They have an entirely new team again. Um, what do you make of this? Just off the cuff, let's start there. What do you make of completely reshaping the roster a season ago and now doing the exact same thing again this offseason?
0: Yeah, I mean i i I was kind of conflicted about what they came in and did last year as far as pushing everybody out and kind of hitting the reset button. Um, and then in hindsight, now and seeing how much most of those guys struggled and how a lot of them are gone now. It it kind of looks even tougher. It's like, yeah, you, and ins- you kind of installed your style play and all that kind of stuff. But all the guys that played that style, are gone. Um, that's, so you're kind of starting all over again in terms of teaching what you want to do. And I mean, it helps to, for Hoiberg to have the numbers and the the film and stuff to show recruits and say, Hey, this is what we want to do. Um, but uh that, the, it, basically, it comes down to um, that those guys weren't good enough. If, uh, if those guys were had a better season, um, they all would have been gone right now. Uh, I mean, Cam Mack, talent, most talented player on the team, but you, you saw what happened the last month or so of the season. Um, he was playing some very poor basketball. Wasn't getting much help, but he also wasn't playing well himself. And then you had the off-court stuff on top of that. And it was just kind of like, well, we need to try this again. Um, And so he was gone. And that's, I think that we're not going to, we're going to see some turnover every single year. We're going to see a lot of transfers, probably more than I'd prefer, just in terms of kind of like what I value and how I think um, you should and can build the program. And, um, but Hoyberg's very good at this and, Matt Abdelmasi is very good at this, and they're comfortable with it. And so if they can make it work, more power to them, I guess. And that's going to be the key here is, are they, is the new crop of guys that he brought in this year and the guys that set out last year, are they significantly better than the guys they brought in for that first team? If these guys are a lot better and you've got these guys here for multiple years, then you're not going to have to flip the roster again. If these guys kind of flop again, then we'll probably be back here in a year. So it'll just kind of, kind of come down to how this team does, and then um, they'll kind of react off of that um, as they recruit for next season. They're always going to look to recruit over the guys on their roster. That's just kind of the, their mindset. Abdel Masi is recruiting 24-7, 365. That's just what he does. They're always going to be looking for ways to update, upgrade the roster. So it's it's up to the guys on the team right now to show – hey, you can't really upgrade on me. Um, so we'll see if those guys are able to do that this year. But that's kind of, I think, where we are uh, at, at with this program right now is coming off a 7-25 and 25 year. Um, Hoiberg needs to win now and needs to win a lot more than he did last year. Otherwise, it's going to be hard to get this thing off the ground. It's going to be hard to recruit if you have another single-digit, you have another below 500 season. So he did what he thought he needed to do to give himself a better chance to compete this year and we'll see kind of how it all plays out.
1: My first thought with the class, I, I, like my brain compared it almost immediately to the 2018 recruiting class for Scott Frost. I should say the the first one, um, the, the first class, so including yeah. Gervais Green and Cam Mack and those guys. My, my brain compared it to the 2018 class that Frost signed in the sense that you can't you can't really hold a coach's feet to the fire for that first class in a transition year if things don't play out exactly the way uh, you expect them to or the way the coaching staff expected them to or, or if guys don't stick it out um, for an extended period of time or, or play their entire careers at the specific university. It, is that is that a fair assessment to, to look at this last year, so including this class and the, the first one that they signed? It, is it fair to kind of look at it through that lens or is this – just kind of par for the course with Fred was like, was this something that happened regularly at Iowa state or was it not to this extreme?
0: Uh, so it wasn't to the same extreme as we saw th- this first year where basically all the, the best players on your team are gone. Uh, and you're starting over completely the the following year, but you look at that, uh, that second year after kind of the first year he made do with what he had, and he had the sit-out transfers. Then Royce White was only there for one year, but the other guys were there for a couple. You added a guy, um, at, kind of as the program moved on, you had Melvin Edgem was a freshman, he in that first year, ended up being a four-year player um, for them, and a really, a really good player and a cornerstone of what he built there. So they were able to land that guy in the first class, and he wasn't a super highly touted recruit. He just grew into a really good player. Um, so that's kind of where we're at right now. That That is kind of a decent comparison, but they've got to find their the kind of their core that they can build around. And clearly last year, none of the like it didn't, it didn't happen. None of those guys proved that they could be those core pieces that Hoiberg needed. And so we're going to continue to see transfers that come in with one or two years They're going to occasionally use a grad transfer if a really good one comes across the board and they can get him here. A a guy like DeAndre Kane was a really good player for them um, after playing at Marshall. So you're going to see those kind of players come in as a one-year guy. Um, Royce White ended up being uh, a first-round pick after one year. So if they can get the recruiting up to where they've got guys like that, then maybe you'll see that kind of. Uh, roster turnover a little bit where a guy's too good that you have to replace him that way. But you also saw you had guys like uh, George Nying and Monte Morris and Matt Thomas, in addition to a Jim, who were high school recruits that played four years in the program. Um, And you had those guys supplementing the transfers that came in every year. So that's kind of, I think what Hoyberg's trying to get to, to where, yeah, you've got your core pieces and then you add transfers every year to kind of fill the gaps and raise the ceiling of the team uh, just based on what you need that year and what's available.
1: Right. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it. And, and I, I w- I'm curious what your thinking is on this. It's something that Amy Williams has been talking about, uh, Nebraska women's basketball coach, has been talking about for really the last year, I want to say. Um, the transfer portal and its kind of explosion with college athletics has has really changed, I think, the way, and, and Amy thinks, the way teams are built in college basketball. And and the way she kind of explains things is with the one-and-done rules implementation into men's college basketball, it really changed for, for the top of college basketball, for the top of the sport, the 1% in the sport, it really changed the way you build a program. It's not necessarily building you know, the way Scott Frost wants to build the football team. It's about building teams, individual groups of players for a year so that you can win a national championship or a conference title, and then kind of resetting the board and building another new team the following season. And then your year-to-year success is what sustains the program moving forward, as opposed to building a program where, You know, let's say you go the West Virginia way where you've got senior on senior on senior, and then you just kind of start over again. And with the transfer portal, it's kind of evened the playing field for everybody because now the 1%, the Dukes and the Kentuckys, are still having to deal with the one and done kids, but now everybody else is having to deal with hey, this person started for you last season, and now they're going someplace else. Matt Harms at Purdue is going someplace else. He's going. He's leaving Purdue to go to BYU. You look at the women's basketball team. Ashton Verbeek, who started every single game she played in last year, is leaving for an NAIA program. Leah Brown, who won sixth woman of the year, sixth player of the year, as the Big Ten calls it, she's leaving to go to Michigan. Like, players just leave because they just want to. And so now Williams has talked about for everyone you're having to do more building of individual teams as opposed to building of programs do you kind of agree with that way of thinking i think it's too early to call this a revolving door at nebraska and i think that it's going to be one of those situations like you said where they're going to take transfers every year because that's Masi's specialty like that's what he's here for they're going to take transfers every year but it's not I don't think it's going to be to this extent but I still think Nebraska is going to be one of those teams that is building individual seasons instead of building four-year runs is that fair what are your thoughts on that
0: yeah um I I agree in certain part you're going to need to be able to do that um you're going to have every year um where you're bringing in transfers, somebody uh, towards the lower end of your roster will probably leave, and occasionally uh, an important piece will leave. So you're going to have to be able to navigate through that. But I also think to be successful in uh, kind of the to where college sports are heading, you're going to have to be able to build a program uh, with stability that where you, do, you are able to keep your players there for four years, your key, your key players, and build and develop those guys and make your program somewhere that players want to be a part of. And then that will, in turn, allow you to add the transfers on top of that to, like I mentioned um, with some of Hoyberg's guys at Iowa State, kind of raise the ceiling. And so I think that's kind of what you're going to have to do in, in this new world where we're heading for college basketball. You don't want it to be... Uh, a revolving door where you're losing guys every year and then you're going to have to go out and get some transfers from somewhere else to kind of fill those holes you want that the transfers to be able to be guys that can be difference makers for you and can help out what you've already built and you've got to have to have a program to be um, impressive to the best transfers the guys that are really going to make a difference versus the guys that are just kind of looking for an easy out, looking for something different. They didn't really love what they had at the old place. You you want really good players that can make a difference that are looking um, to prove something that they weren't able to prove at their previous stop. So I I kind of you're gonna I think basically what I'm saying is you have to be able to do both. You have to be able to build a program that players want to be a part of, uh, whether those are the players already on your team or the ones that you're looking to add as transfers. And then if you build a strong program, you'll be able to incorporate those transfers a little bit easier. You'll be able to build kind of ingrain your style of play where you're not having to start over completely every year. You're going to have guys in your program that can kind of help you with that and lead the way. So that's, I think, ideally what this is going to look like in the new world. You've got people like John Rothstein carrying the water for the NCAA and talking about how opening up the transfer rule is such a bad thing, and um, we, we can't have this, it'll destroy college basketball or whatever. It'll make things certainly tougher for coaches, but the coaches make a lot of money. So under this new rule, you're gonna have to be able to build a little bit more of a relationship with your players. You're gonna have to have that open dialogue kind of feel for how they're playing, kind of what their interests are. You're gonna be able to, uh, you're gonna have to be able to do that if you wanna be able to build a successful team and have a program. And keep some of those guys from jumping at, at the um, at just kind of at the smallest thing. So I think this will kind of put more pressure on the coaches, and it'll make things tougher. But again, they're paid the big bucks, so I I'm kind of more on the side of the players. I I don't like listen. I'm not a guy that's in here like, um, in favor of all these transfers. There are a lot of guys that transfer that I'm like, eh, really like. What are you looking for? You had a good spot, kind of. But at the same time, th- these players, I think, deserve more freedom and control over their own lives than they currently have in the NCAA.
1: I would agree with that. I think that's a really good way of putting it. Did you feel that way about any of the Nebraska transfers? I'm curious. I'm going to put you on the spot.
0: Uh, not really, because like I said, it just didn't work. So all those guys, I think it's kind of, for the most part, was kind of a mutual parting. Um, and you-, you notice all these guys drop down to mid-major levels. So I think that's kind of what you're seeing is maybe they just quite weren't. You have a guy like Deshaun Burke. I thought he was going to be pretty good, but he put up his numbers at uh, Robert Morris, lower level, came up to the Big Ten, and even after a year of sitting out, it just didn't work out. So now he drops down, back down to a mid-major level again, and we'll have a chance to um, kind of see if he can kind of recapture some of what he did previously. You got a guy like Kevin Cross that I was never quite sold on as being a high major player. Now he'll drop down. He, I think he just got an offer from Tulane. So I think he'll probably drop down to a mid-major level and then maybe he'll be able to have some more success there. So I think that's kind of like what you're seeing. Yeah, maybe you would have liked to see things work out better with Cam Mack, but it just kind of... I mean, halfway through the season, it just seems like, well, that's this is kind of where we were heading. So I, I, I think... The, the transfers, for the most part, were, were were good things for both sides here, and it was kind of a mutual parting for almost
1: all of them. It is a pretty interesting comparison, because the guys that they signed in the previous class, like you said, were guys from from lower levels, from mid-major, from lower levels in college basketball. But you look at, the, I think, the big hitters, the heavy hitters in this class, you've got a guy from Wisconsin— who has Big Ten experience and has played against Nebraska. You've got a guy who was at West Virginia and has Division I experience at the big level. You've got a guy who played at Pitt. You've got guys with, like, not just, you know, playing at, I mean, I guess Nebraska Uh, and the Big Ten, but, like, guys who played at legit conferences. Like, Pitt in the ACC is a legit conference. West Virginia in the Big 12 is a legit conference. Wisconsin's obviously been good. Um, let's, uh, let's walk through, you've written extensively about all of these guys. So first I will direct people to hail find the latest story that Jacob Padilla has written, click on the story, then click on his byline, his name, and it will pull up a list of all of the stories that he's written in chronological order. You'll be able to find breakdowns of each player that Nebraska signed. They're really good. I would strongly encourage everybody listening if you want to know more about the guys that nebraska signed go read those stories from jacob padilla are they under are they under premium are they under the the premium yeah
0: yeah they're premium
1: okay they are premium but right now you can get hail varsity for free for hail varsity premium for free your your first uh payment isn't until what is it june july
0: yeah june i believe
1: yeah and your first issue will be the 2020 hail varsity yearbook which is i think a pretty good deal um so to kind of supplement that jacob let's do a quick run through i want to get your thoughts on the guys that nebraska did sign let's start with teddy allen from but i mentioned before we played west virginia he's coming from western nebraska community college which is where jervais green came from last year talk to me about teddy a little bit
0: yeah um yeah he definitely is coming out of that same program that produced Gervais green but he was as good as Gervais green was uh teddy was even better and even more productive in a lot of different ways. And um, I had a conversation with Corey Ferringer, the head coach out there. And obviously he's still, he's still a Gervais guy and um, he didn't love kind of what happened there, but he's still cool with, with Fred Hoiberg and, um, and he thinks that Teddy is going to be an absolute stud for them. And he, he, he was raving about Teddy just kind of his work ethic and everything he did this last season and um, that's kind of the thing like Teddy is uh, I think a lot of people see Teddy as a risk just based on his history and their, their right to do so. He has been a guy that's had a hard life, but he's also made some bad decisions uh, kind of stemming from that. So um, I, I think it's a situation where Hoiberg feels comfortable taking him into this program, now, even without kind of the established kind of program that you would you would like to see, um, in terms of a lot of veterans, guys that have been around that can kind of help keep him in line and all that kind of stuff. But the, the difference here is Teddy being close to home and he's got a lot of people in Omaha that are kind of his support staff. It's people that kind of, um, he's got trainers, he's got people he's close to, um, they're all in Omaha. So they're going to be a short drive away for him. They're going to be at the games. They're going to be around when he needs them. So you have those kind of people in his ear all the time. And then you've got Hoiberg who, uh, and Abdel Masi who are kind of invested in getting the most out of him. So if I think this Nebraska set up, and then you've seen Teddy himself kind of just express his gratitude and how serious he has taken this. So he knows this is his last chance. So if he can't succeed at Nebraska, um, then he's not going to be able to kind of get through this and succeed anywhere so he's a guy that's just going to be an absolute stud scorer he's going to find especially if the three-point shot translates it's kind of been up and down throughout his career but if he's got that three ball to go with all the other ways he can score um he's a guy that i see as kind of like an instant starter a guy that'll be a double digit scorer right away and will do it uh, a bit more efficiently than the guys we saw last year
1: i suspect In like seven months, there's going to be a rush of kids named Kobe. Uh, Nebraska signed two Kobe's in this class. Let's start with the first one, Kobe King from Wisconsin, the guy that I mentioned before. He he might be able to be kind of one of those veteran voices, could he not? What do you think of Kobe?
0: Yeah, and they're going to try to get him a a waiver to play right away if the rules, uh, the rule change doesn't go in effect and retroactively uh, affect. Players that have already declared their intention to transfer or, or, or made that move, so we'll kind of see how that goes. But uh I think they feel good about getting him a chance to play right away. Either either way, so he's a guy. I I've, I've never been a big Kobe King guy. I've never been super high on him. um Looking at you mentioned kind of those pieces I wrote. Looking at his synergy profile, there are some things in there that I was like, okay, I can see how he could be useful here. And listening to Fred Hoiberg talk about him and. Again, I'll write more on this later. Um, got a lot of good stuff from Fred that I haven't um, kind of put into pieces yet for people, but that's coming down down the line here. But uh, he he believes in the perimeter shot and his ability to kind of bring that out of players. Um, he mentioned it for both Kobe King and Trey McGowans, who are probably going to mention later, like guys that he he likes the way they shoot. They haven't necessarily gone in at a high rate, but he believes that he can get the most out of them as shooters. So – Hoiberg is a guy that believes in his own ability to develop. And Kobe King's a guy that has started for a good program in the Big Ten. He was at scoring 13 a game in the Big Ten and leading Wisconsin before leaving the team. Obviously, after he left, it kind of lit a fire under that team, and they put it all together and made a run to uh, for the Big Ten title. But um, he's, he's a guy that's got, got some skills. He's a big, strong physical guard. He can run a little bit of pick and roll. He can um, really, he's a good post up guard. And Heuberg's a guy that likes to kind of invert his his bigs and guards at times and will be able to kind of use that skill within his offense. Um, And like you said, he's a guy that started uh, quite a few games in the Big Ten and he knows what these programs bring and he knows what to expect.
1: Uh, The other Kobe, Kobe Webster from Western Illinois, he's a grad transfer combo guard. He was a three year starter in the Summit League. What are your thoughts on, on Webster?
0: Yeah, his synergy breakdown was actually really interesting as well. And just kind of the, the, the areas that he's... He's first and foremost an off-the-dribble shooter. He's, that's kind of what he's best at. He's small, so he might have some struggles defensively, and he's not great at getting to the rim and finishing just because of his size. But he's a really good off-the-dribble shooter. He can pull up out of the pick-and-roll... Um, kind of probe that defense, get to his spot and rise up and knock down the shot. Um, so he's, he's pretty good with the ball in his hands and as a sophomore and as a freshman, he shot the ball a lot better than he did this last year. His catch and shoot numbers were awful this season, but, um, I think a lot of that was he didn't really have anybody else to play off of last year. He had the ball in his hand most of the time. So I think with him playing next to a guy like Delano Banton and Teddy Allen, and other guys are going to handle the ball and create a little bit. I think you'll see those catch-and-shoot numbers kind of get back to um, closer to like in that 40% range where he was as a younger player. Um, so I think he's a guy that's got some upside as um, kind of scoring spark plug. He pretty good assist-turnover ratio um, while having the ball in his hands a lot. He's, not, he's definitely a shoot-first guy, but I think maybe there's a little bit more playmaking um, uh, that – Hoiberg can get out of him if the guys around him are good enough and where he doesn't have to create everything like he did at Western Illinois. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. He's a very different kind of point guard than than Cam Mack. That's for sure.
1: Uh, The other combo guards that they signed, Trey McGallans from Pitt, you kind of mentioned him. He started 64 of 66 games at Pitt, which is (laughs) another one of those things. Like just because the guy's starting doesn't mean he's going to stay. He averaged 12 a game in those two years. Uh, but the thing that, that is interesting, at least surface-level numbers, his usage goes up in year two, his points stay the same, but his assists go up and his turnovers kind of stay where they were at, which is what you like to see from a guard as they develop. What are your thoughts on Trey McAllens?
0: Yeah, he's a really athletic player. I, it's another guy that I'm still kind of iffy on, but if uh, Hoiberg, he, like I said, he believes in his development ability and this is the guy they're going to have to develop. And last year at Pitt, actually both years at Pitt, it wasn't a great fit for him. He wants to be a point guard. He wants to have the ball in his hands. And Pitt signed uh, a name that should sound familiar to Nebraska fans, Xavier Johnson, the point guard that was committed before Kenya Hunter left. And so he, he was a point guard for that Pitt team. And they had no shooters throughout that entire lineup. They were one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the country. So this is an athletic, slashing guard who – has to play more off the ball than on and doesn't have shooters to spread the floor for him. So it's not surprising to see that he would struggle with efficiency and wouldn't be able to kind of get the most out of his ability. Um, I think he's kind of up in the air. Like Nebraska talked to him, like they're going to fight for him to get him a waiver if they need it. I don't know that he has a good case for that. Um, uh, <laughs> unless the NCAA decides to be really loose with the waivers this year, if they need to give waivers and if that rule doesn't pass and impact everybody, Um, because it's basketball fit. It's like, uh, like I said, it's not, it wasn't a great fit. So for basketball reasons, that's why he's transferring, but that hasn't really usually been strong enough to get you that waiver right away. But Either way, he's a guy that's going to have to develop. He's going to, again, another guy that's going to be a very different kind of point guard than Webster, a very different kind of point guard than Max. So we'll kind of see how he develops as he gets to play that point guard role a little bit more.
1: Last guy, forward Lat Mayan. Mayan? How do you pronounce his last name? Help me
0: out. Uh, uh, I'm not 100% sure. Lat Mayan is kind of what I've been going with, um, but I don't know that
1: for certain. We'll call him Lat. When Fred introduced yeah. him, he said, I really like Lat." Didn't say his last name. So just go with <laughs> Lat. What are your thoughts?
0: So he's the kind of guy that they didn't really have last year in terms of a stretch four that could both shoot and rebound. You had they, they played a lot of small ball last year. They had a guard there. You had a guy like Thor there that could shoot a little bit. Um, you tried some different guys at that spot, but you didn't have somebody that could kind of hold his own with, with length and rebounding in addition to being a really good shooter. So that's kind of what Hoiberg is hoping that he can be is he was a He was like an eight and eight type of guy um, this year in Juco um, shot the ball almost 40% from three and Hoiberg mentioned that their point guard got hurt. So he was having to create a lot more for himself in the second half of the season and still was able to shoot pretty darn well from the three point line. So um, if that shooting touch translates, he's a little thin. Um, he's going to have to be able to hold his own physically in the big 10 he he, as a freshman he enrolled at tcu and was there for a bit but what didn't really see the floor a whole lot before transferring back to juco so he's a guy that i think just kind of fits into what Horberg wants to do he's versatile he can defend multiple positions um fred even said he kind of sees him as a true kind of like combo forward so he believes he can play out on the wing in addition to playing the four um because that i mean that within his system that that's kind of uh, flexible between those spots so he's a guy that if if it, if he translates to the division one level better than their juco guys did last year um he can really fit well and ha- allow Hoyberg's team to play the way he wants it to play
1: i forgot about the tcu year jamie dixon's not a bad guy to learn under um yeah. The thing that you just said, let's talk about that next, because Hoiberg said the exact same thing. He said that this class is going to allow him to play more of the way that he wants to play. You just said the same thing. What does that mean?
0: Uh, so first of all, um, the shots will hopefully go in more, the three-point shots. <laughs> they, they were That's one the of way the way everybody uh, wants to play. Yeah, like, but especially, especially a Fred Hoiberg team. They are one of the top three-point shooting teams in the Big Ten in terms of volume. Uh, they just didn't go in all that often. So if a guy like uh, Lat can come in and shoot 37, 38, 39 if percent, if Teddy Allen's three-point shooting translates, he can shoot in the upper 30s, if Shamil Stevenson can shoot in the upper 30s like he did at Pitt, um, you, you're going to have – and then you've got Thor coming back and kind of doing what he did last year. And, and then Kobe Webster as well, like I mentioned, I think he'll be a better catch-and-shoot guy this year. So – if you've got all those guys hitting shots, it'll create driving lanes a lot more. So a lot of, happened, a lot of what happened last year is Nebraska, they, they attacked the basket quite a bit. That was kind of their strength in terms of what their players should have been able to do. But there was always help, defense, in the paint. It was always tough. A lot of times, guys, either I think they're one of the leaders in the country in terms of getting their shots blocked. And a lot of that was because they didn't have to respect the shooters out on the perimeter if you put three or four shooters out there on the floor and then you put a guy like Derek Walker in the dump uh, dunker spot. Now suddenly the floor is properly spaced and the defense has to pick their poison. And you've got a guy like Delano Banton slashing through the lane. And instead of with two guys waiting at the rim, he just either there's nobody there or he's got and, uh, he draws the help defender and kicks it out to a wide open three. And that should go in at a, a much higher rate than it did last year. So that's kind of, offensively, that's what he's talking about in terms of how he wants to play, is you've got multiple guys that can both shoot and create off the dribble. And that's what Hoiberg wants, is versatility where everybody out there can make a play and everybody else is spacing the floor so that the guy with the ball can
1: make that play. Should be a fun season, maybe? I don't know. I thought last season was going to be fun, and it was not. Yeah. I thought it was going to be entertaining, and it was not. It was... Uh, Maybe more frustrating watching them play offense last year than it was watching Tim Miles play offense two years ago. That,
0: yeah, that, that's an issue. Well, and on top of that, the defense was even worse than their offense. So that made things really tough. And that's kind of the second half of what this class means to Hoyberg. those in the sit-out transfer guys. is They were so undersized last year that they had to make uh, the decision of, hey, we're going to double in the paint, we're going to help off shooters, and we're going to give up open shots. The problem is they didn't do that very well, so all they ended up doing was giving up a lot of open threes mm-hmm. and also finishing last in the conference in two-point field goal percentage against. So they didn't have rim protection. They didn't have the size to kind of hold their own defensively. This year, you're adding Delano Banton, who's six eight with long arms. You're adding Shamil Stevenson, who's six six two forty five. 245. So long arms, kind of rock-solid athlete. You're adding Mayen, like I said, long, can rebound the ball, um... You're, so you're adding Teddy Allen, who's 6'5 and 200-some pounds, 20, 30, whatever he is now. Um, they they listed him at 200 pounds on his JUCO page, and he's not that. Um, he is an absolute bully out there. You can score on the block or out on the perimeter off the bounce. So you're adding guys like that. And then Derek Walker, who is – he wasn't a difference maker. He, he, was, he didn't even play a whole lot at Tennessee. But he's a lot more mature in advance than the freshman they had playing there last year. So you add him into the mix, he'll know what to do a little bit more. He'll finish a little bit better. So you're not going to have as many blown layups if he's the guy in that spot as you had with Ivan last year. So these guys are able to match up across the line. I mean, heck, you could put out some really big lineups out there where you got nobody shorter than 6'5 if you want and be just fine to be able to play the way
1: Holberg wants to play. Which is great because last year they had lineups that had four guys on the floor who weren't <laughs> over 6'5". Like it, yeah. it, I mean, he could really go <laughs> inverse here. Like,
0: Well, you ha- he had stretches where a call of rope at 6'6 and 190 pounds was playing center and was doing it against the 7'1 John Teske of Michigan. Like that happened last year. Yeah, You yep. had Kevin Cross, who is 6'6", as Fred Hoiber confirmed, not the 6'8", that he's listed at you had him playing center all year long. You had a 17-year-old who looks like a grown man but doesn't really have the grown man muscles or experience yet. Mm-hmm. That's what you had playing the five last year.
1: Yeah, so I mean when when you look at, you know, obviously it's signing day, so every coach is gonna love the class that they signed. No one's gonna talk bad about the class that they signed. The class that they signed is a bunch of winners that loves being in the gym and they like working together and it's gonna be great and it's He said really... all that
0: exactly. He did, yeah. <laughs> it's it's really rosy
1: right now. But some of the the most impactful additions that were made were Delano Banton now having eligibility and a guy like Shamil Stevenson now having eligibility who I mean, he's only six foot six, but he's built like a brick house. I mean, he's sturdy in a way that Nebraska didn't have many sturdy guys last year. Like you well, mentioned, and, Ivan and being a grown man, and you're right. He looks like one, but he doesn't have, he just didn't have the wherewithal or the fortitude, at least early on last season. Um, he grew a lot later on, but not enough to be impactful or meaningful in any way for them late.
0: Yeah, and and just adding on to the Shamil Stevenson thing, his pit bio said he, had a, he has a 6'11 wingspan and a 40-inch vertical. So you add that on top of the 245-pound frame, and you've got an absolute freak, which yeah. they did not have
1: last year. Yeah, for sure. Um, it'll be interesting, to say the least. Uh, maybe I won't go out on a limb and say it's going to be an entertaining season again, but it should be interesting to see how Fred kind of works the rotation because – Um, I love Thor. I really love his game. I like his offensive feel and his IQ when he's on the court. Uh, So it'll be curious to see how everything else kind of meshes, I guess. Uh, Jacob, it's late. You've got work that you probably need to do or uh, some, some more Green Bay Packers ranting that you probably want to do on Twitter. So I'll let you get back to it. Thank you for joining the podcast and lending some of your basketball wisdom to us.
0: Yeah, well, I, I needed
1: to talk basketball after the way the draft went. <laughs> just uh, just come be a Chargers fan. We have Justin <laughs> Herbert now. And, yeah, and I, the coolest jersey slash color scheme in all of professional sports.
0: Yeah, jerseys are cool. Uh, not, not much of a Herbert fan, so Booty.
1: that wouldn't really help
0: me in the quarterback um, department.
1: He's probably better than Jer- uh, Jordan Love. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, wow wow
0: like All right, jacob. You, you look the what you look at like herbert was very uh scary analytically um what he did last year compared to a lot of these guys so looks apart doesn't necessarily play the part we'll see if that changes
1: thanks for joining the podcast jacob thanks for having me we'll be back next week with another one in the meantime keep reading hill com. we always appreciate your support but especially so uh in the times that we're living in right now um Read Hail Varsity, like I said. Follow this podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us a rating or a review. Listen to Jay Moore's podcast, the More To It podcast. Listen to the radio show. I said the same thing last week, but there's all kinds of ways that you can consume Hail Varsity content, and uh, I don't know if we're still doing... We're probably not still doing Mad Libs now since uh, spring ball is technically over, or what would have been spring ball is technically over, but still follow the Instagram page either way, because... Uh, The Hale Varsity Instagram page is a fun follow, I would say, especially, you know, in season. But even even right now when there's not much going on, uh, the the content team at at HaleVarsity.com has been doing a good job. So we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the NFL draft this weekend.